Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind I made it. I'm here. It's been an adventure just trying to get this broadcast set up tonight. But I'm here, not on every single platform that we're normally on, but I'm here. And I am on Rumble with you, at least on one of our channels. I have had a heck of a time getting tonight's broadcast set up, especially on Rumble. We're having internet problems here. We are experiencing major disruptions over on Rumble, where we've been able to watch videos but not set up the broadcast until just a few moments ago where I finally got the main channel online. Uh, all of that going on against a backdrop now of an actual apparent, apparently an actual cyber attack, apparently from China. And all of that going on against the backdrop of Controversy surrounding this new Netflix flick about a cyber attack, a terrorist cyber attack designed to bring the United States to its knees. And I watched the movie two nights ago. And I'm going to talk about it with you here tonight. So I'm excited about that. At least we made it. Isn't it weird? This movie is out there talking about the very thing that we're wrestling with here tonight, a major cyber attack. Yeah, weird. Times are so weird. I will touch on the controversies surrounding that Congressional hearing into anti-Semitism on the rise on university campuses and university presidents being pressured to resign. I'll comment on it. Um, what else do we have? Trump hoping that the Supreme Court will rule in his favor and declare him immune to prosecution on the J6 stuff. And we have an explosive device that was detonated in Ottawa. No injuries. But we'll explain what that's about. And saving the planet from cow farts. All that and a whole lot more coming up right here on the Maverick News Channel. Stay with me. I'll be right back.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay. Where should we start? Cyber attack. So what happened here? Well, I have some internet issues. I don't think this stuff is directly related. This this portion of it anyway is directly related to today's reports of cyber attacks. I'm having serious modem issues with the internet service provider that we have, which is Bell, uh, Bell Media. They provide the fiber optic lines that come in here, and we've had ongoing issues with it for, well, really months. Today, it's terrible. It keeps disconnecting. So if I disappear, freeze up, it's because of that. Okay? So the modem is not working properly. They're sending new equipment out. It should be here in a couple of days. So hopefully we can stabilize things, get the internet sped up, and provide better service all the way around to you guys working on that. But there was more today as well. This whole issue with Rumble, very strange. I don't know exactly what the issue is, but there I, I have looked into this to some degree, and I'm seeing that we are getting reported reports of outages or service disruptions uh, rumble, especially in some areas in Canada. Now, for me, the difficulty was trying to set up the broadcast. We were able to watch videos here today on rumble, but could not set this broadcast up until about maybe 20 minutes ago. We fi finally got the system to accept all of the streaming information that we need to put in every day in order to get this thing fired up. And here we are. So I'm grateful for that, but we're only on one of the two different channels that we run over there. We are tonight still running on YouTube and Facebook and uh, Twitter. And I had to drop a couple of other ones in order to, uh, to get things rolling over here on rumble tonight. So we're not on all of the platforms because of the disruption there, but um, we are on. So that's a good thing. Now, the other weird thing about all of this, as I mentioned earlier, is that this is all happening while we are getting reports of some sort of major cyber attack involving, I guess, Chinese hackers who targeted the Texas power grid, um, a Hawaii water utility, and other critical infrastructure. So we know this. We know that the hackers are targeting critical U.S. infrastructure. And we're told that um, these hackers are working on the disruption of critical communications. Um, so this report from security agencies indicates that there are several entities located outside the United States that have been targeted as well. The hackers who are affiliated with, these are the reports we're getting, with China, China's People's Liberation Army have accessed the computer systems of about two dozen critical entities over the past year. A lot of this information is uh, being filtered through to the public through the Washington Post. 
So these intrusions have not affected industrial control systems that operate such things as pumps and pistons and have not affected any critical functions or caused any disruption um, in a major way, according to U.S. officials. But there is a report from Associated Press. Microsoft says that the group of hackers, which it calls Volt Typhoon, have been active since about mid-2021. And it says organizations affected by the hacking, which seeks persistent access, are in the communications, manufacturing, utility, transportation, construction, maritime information, technology, and education sectors, as well as the medical area. Um, I can tell you as well that even right here in the area where I live, this region, this whole region was recently affected by a major hack into the hospital system. And it affected services at many hospitals all through southwestern Ontario. They've been working on regaining access to their systems, their files, and restoring services, and things have stabilized there to some degree. But this is how sensitive all of these systems are, these information systems. So tonight, <clears throat> it's also being reported on other mainstream media outlets, including Fox News. Let me bring up this news alert, which just ran on Fox reinforcing what I'm telling you here tonight. And here we go. And I'm not getting any audio on this one. Okay, hang on. Let's let's get you a better feed. This will work better. We have audio now. Technical problem corrected once again. The post reveals hackers affiliated with China's People's Liberation Army have infiltrated critical services here in the U.S. Alexandra Hoff joins us now from our nation's capital. Alex, this is not good. No, it's not. I mean, this infiltration appears to be part of a broader effort to insert chaos into our logistical systems. The information collected could then be weaponized if the U.S. and China were to become engaged directly in the Pacific. According to reporting from The Washington Post, citing multiple U.S. and industry security officials, China's cyber army, army is invading critical U.S. services, like an attempt to break into the system behind Texas's independent power grid. Other victims include a water utility in Hawaii, a West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline according to that report you're seeing there. Brandon Wells, executive director of the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Agency, told The Washington Post this, quote, it is very clear that Chinese attempts to compromise critical infrastructure are in part to pre-position themselves to be able to disrupt or destroy that critical infrastructure in the event of a conflict to either prevent the United States from being able to project power into Asia or to cause societal chaos inside the United States to affect our decision-making around a crisis. The report notes that over the past year, hackers affiliated with the People's Liberation Army in China have accessed the computer systems of about two dozen critical entities. Two dozen. So this is obviously a serious, credible threat. 
and I would say that it isn't just China, it's other countries as well, but China on the on the forefront, at least in terms of being on the radar for security agencies here in Canada and especially the United States. And it's also, there's some real, isn't it strange that this is all happening as this new movie, Leave the World Behind, debuts on Netflix, sparking controversy and fear, I would have you note. So what have you, has anybody seen this movie? Have you guys watched it? I watched it two nights ago. Let me check the chat. Let me see here. Anybody see that movie? Leave the World Behind. Stars Julia Roberts. Ethan Hawke. Kevin Bacon. The whole movie is about a family that decides to take off on a spur of the moment vacation to leave the world behind. And they take off on a vacation, you know, in the Long Island, New York area. And when they get to their rented home away from home, they realize that there's a giant cyber attack that is taking place. It's all very weird. A lot of strange things happen because of this cyber attack. A giant oil tanker ditches itself, beaches on the beach that they're on. Um, strange things start happening with people dying. Self-driving autonomous Teslas are activated and clog up the highways. There's some sort of a sonar sound attack breaking windows, almost bursting eardrums. What other weapons are unleashed upon the unsuspecting people? Well, we see that there are mass deaths on a, on a, on a beach. We see that uh, the wildlife is affected. freezing up again. There we go. Seems like we're we're back. But the the movie itself kind of hits on all of these different I guess narratives. Some would say conspiracy theories. And it's sparking controversy because of the references to cultural tensions and in particular, there's one scene that comes up in the movie. I'll play it for you and you can assess for yourself. Let me just get it cued here for you. Here it is. So the um, in the course of this film, the family that um, Julia Roberts is the mom. Ethan Hawke is the dad. And then they, and they rented this house, but in the middle of the night, because of this cyber attack, which is basically destroying the United States from within, it, uh, it results in the homeowners who rented this 
Airbnb, essentially, to the family. They show up in the middle of the night because they've come back home and they ask if they can stay in the house with them. And this is kind of a weird scene. This one here, this scene, this really kind of creeped me out because the father and daughter that returned to the house, the owners of the house, they end up sleeping in the basement. This kind of, I thought was kind of weird. The daughter asks the dad to get into bed and sleep with her because she's scared. And then there's this scene where she says this stuff that I would say is controversial in itself. I'm asking for you to remember that if the world falls apart, trust should not be dulled out easily to anyone, especially white people. Even mom would agree with me on that. I'm asking for you to remember Again. that if the world falls apart, trust should not be dulled out easily to anyone, especially white people. Uh, so that scene kind of, it really kind of creeped me out. The dad and the daughter and the bed and the sleeping and the just, ugh. and then the whole reference to don't, you know, you can't trust white people. What the hell is that? So is this predictive programming? What is it? Kevin Bacon plays this prepper. And uh, the one kid from the son of Julia Roberts gets sick. So they go to see this prepper. Kevin Bacon. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, I think the people making this movie are laughing at conservatives. And laughing at people who do prepare for the worst. They're laughing at us while telling us a lot of what is actually going on. The storyline indicates that the U.S. government is actually being infiltrated and that there are people within who are part of a deep state controlled by foreign adversaries which is a lot of what I've been talking about over the past couple of weeks in a pretty serious way here. And at one point, there's a drone that flies overhead while Ethan Hawke is out trying, looking for someone who can give him some answers. And the drone is dropping thousands and thousands of these flyers. Old school style with some sort of a message that says death to America. So he looks at this, but it's in some sort of uh, foreign language. They can't quite read it, but they do understand that it means death to America. They just can't decipher all of the other details because they don't speak the language, but it's obviously from China or this Kevin Bacon says, Korea, maybe North Korea. And then he says, you know, we've made a lot of enemies around the world. That much is true. That much is very true. 
But it also occurred to me that Hollywood is part of the problem because this movie in itself also fuels a lot of the uh, the negativity and a lot of the problems, exacerbates them. It was it was a good flick. The ending, very weird. I won't spoil it for you. All I can say is it ended on a flat note for me. But the whole thing, it it just rings true. It It's all supposed to be some sort of a, I would say, sort of a science fiction type of flick. But it's like current science fiction based on conspiracy theory that most of it i would say is pretty obviously true it's scaring me which is really i think what the movie is meant to do i think it's meant to do two things this is the most unusual movie review i've ever done because it isn't so much a review of the movie as it is a discussion or commentary on what this movie is really meant to do. This movie, Leave the World Behind, in my opinion, is part of the PSYOP. It's part of the information war. It's sending a message to people on the left side of the political spectrum and and maybe the, um, the sheeples who are completely asleep saying people like, Kevin Bacon, who plays a prepper, people like that, they're all nuts. And this is just stuff to be sort of laughed at. While at the same time, I think that they're giving you information that is to a great degree factual. And so the people who are able to clue in and understand exactly what they're talking about, they're telling you this is what's really happening. And they're trying to trigger you and scare the living daylights out of you. Mission accomplished. You did it. You scared me. It's like they're telling you exactly what they're doing and laughing at you. And then I looked at, you know, who is it who is involved in this film? Who's who's starring in it? Who produced it? Who directed it? And you know what? They're all lefties. They're all from the left-wing, woke crowd. Julia Roberts, pretty left. Kevin Bacon, you know, pretty woke, pretty left. Look at the videos that they were posting during the pandemic. Look at uh, look at the the videos that Kevin Bacon and his wife were, you know, have been posting, especially during the height of the um, LGBTQ plus S, 2S or whatever, 2S. Um, culture war that erupted into protests in the streets. It's still ongoing. You know, the drag queen story time stuff, all of that. Go look at that. He's pretty left, pretty woke. You know, I, I think he's seems like a nice enough guy, but um, I've always liked him as an actor. But him playing that role, you know, to him, 
I don't think he is that guy, not by a long shot, but him playing it. He did a you know, pretty credible job, but I think the whole time he was doing it, he was mocking people who are like that. I think that this whole movie mocks people who are concerned while at the same time telling you you're right. Hollywood, Holly Weird. Oh, and you know who else was involved in producing it? Barack and Michelle Obama. Yeah. Take a quick break. We'll come back. The discussion shall continue. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. Individuals. Defenders of individual rights. And freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News. Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Julia Roberts ends up on TV with Jimmy Fallon and doing a promo interview for this Netflix movie, Leave the World Behind. And this is what she had to say about the involvement of the Obamas. President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are producers on the film. They are. Did they work closely with the film? Uh, yes, you know, they, well, this was on President Obama's um, reading list. You know, he puts out his cool books yeah, and cool songs. Right. And so this book was on his list and he's a big fan of Mr. Robot. And um, so I think he and Sam, you know, collaborated, with, you know, with the notes in the beginning and the notes when we were done filming in the post-production. And was he, well, imagine him in the editing room. Now, if you're knocking on the door, I would hide. <laughs> It's his, it's his Airbnb. It's his Airbnb. He can do what he wants. He's allowed to live there. It's his house. But I think it's kind of weird. They're laughing at us. Laughing at us. And that's my review for Leave the World Behind. Pretty good flick. You want to know what's really going on? Just watch it. It just, it, they just tell you. It's, the, it's exactly what I've been talking about for the past two weeks. Off and on. I've been saying. It's, this stuff, it's, we don't know who to fight. We're, it's like shadow boxing. You know there's something wrong. And you want to lash out 
and you want to get rid of Biden and you want to get rid of Trudeau. But, you know, if you just get rid of those guys, it's not really going to solve the problem. There's something worse. That the worst thing is that some of these people are right inside our government and our institutions. They've taken things over. It's capture. Combined with outside foreign influence and outside hacking and outside information warfare. And decades of propaganda, anti-American propaganda, anti-Canadian propaganda, anti-Western propaganda, critical race theory. And uh, and it's it's working. And the sixteen nineteen project, rhetoric about colonialism, settlers, shifting public opinion over time, especially through younger generations, undermining patriotism, making everyone focus on the negative side of our countries, the negative side of our society, never talking about the positive things that have come out of being a Canadian or an American, focusing only on the negative. And you know what? There's a whole lot of positive stuff, more good than bad, that we should be focused on with regard to our history and our people. It's you. It's you. Define colonialism. Define what a settler is. And this woke ideology, this left-wing political narrative, identity politics, it's spreading worldwide, and it has been accelerated as a result of the war between Israel and Palestine, in case you haven't noticed. Just in case you haven't noticed. Old world history has been turned into a weapon by the left. Colonialism. You will pay. Reparations. Are needed. The strange thing is I'm seeing this convergence between now even people on the conservative side, the right. Now, come full circle around to meet the left because they're buying into the oppressor versus the oppressed. Because of the conflict in the Middle East. The Palestinians are the victims. That's the narrative. The oppressor is now the Jewish. Um, the Jews, the, the Israelis, the Zionists. Simplicity. That's how you sell something to someone. 
And so now you see, you see this meshing of, of this narrative and it's the strangest of things to some people. And yet not really to me, because I've, I've seen for a long time that these two political sides, the fascists, the Nazis, the communists, it's all, it's just social socialists, authoritarians. I don't, I don't, buy into the the left versus the right so much isn't it strange to see people who are who were considered to be sort of far right now marching in the streets with people who were previously viewed to be on the the far left m- merging with black lives matter we'll talk about it more in the days ahead But this is what's happening, and I think this is all by design, too. Bringing bringing these political forces together to focus on a common enemy using propaganda, information, warfare, and decades of... Political campaigning through a process of indoctrination to sell a an age-old trope that goes back not just to Mein Kampf, but before that to the 1930s and a document that I'll talk about more another night. And beyond that, back into the 1860s, all of this stuff is being recycled. And the reason it's being recycled is because it is such a powerful, powerful psychological tool to use on people. And it has just been updated and it is being used again today. And it is so dangerous. So, so dangerous. It's the danger is already here and it's playing out in a, in a way that is leading us down the path toward not just World War III, which we are already in, but maybe even a kinetic World War III, which we do not want to foster. We don't want to go there. This is scaring me. And all of this is happening while Hollywood is laughing at us. Careful, folks. Be careful which side you pick. Because picking a side is playing their game. And we don't want to play their game by their rules because they're leading us to self-destruction. Look in the mirror. You want to know who the settlers are, who the colonial, the colonialists are, who the oppressors are? They're telling you. I just played you the clip. Think about it before you go and march in the streets this weekend. And uh, join in the chanting. 
you might be chanting and cheering and calling for your own destruction. It's kind of weird. And yet that's exactly what we've been engaged in for decades now. Self-destruction. Not me. I love my country. And I love you guys. Because you guys are freaking awesome. Don't ever forget it. news. The world is watching. Climate change. COP28. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. But major development. Check this out. Verge of complete failure. Climate summit draft drops the mention of fossil fuel phase out. Angering advocates. They're not coming together. Uh, in a way, I'm not surprised, and yet I'm surprised, but they go off to Dubai in the middle of the oil producing part of the world for a climate change summit, hoping to come to some sort of agreement to phase out fossil fuels only to then come back today with watered down language on uh, an, uh, an agreement, a draft agreement that um, removes a call to phase out fossil fuels. So it calls on countries to take actions to reduce Planet warming pollution, which could include reducing the consumption and production of oil, coal, and gas. But they're saying they changed the, the, the wording in this. The draft came came in later. They they were debating this behind closed doors, and and they they used watered down language. That what was the language? Let me just check this. It was the word "could" instead of "will" or something like that. So earlier drafts had included several options that called on countries to phase out climate polluting oil, gas, and coal, which observers said was an encouraging sign that this year's summit agreement would be stronger than previous years. A climate advocate and former U.S. Vice President Al Gore said that uh, the summit is now on the verge of complete failure, though. He said the world desperately needs to phase out fossil fuels as quickly as possible. But this draft reads as if OPEC dictated it word for word. He said it's worse than many had feared. <laughs> yeah. So 
So shockwaves ripped through the talks shortly after they began last weekend when comments from Al-Jabbar made in November came to light in a panel discussion. He said there is no science behind the demand that phasing out fossil fuels is necessary to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius, the goal of the Paris Climate Agreement. And then he defended his commitment to climate science the next day and said phasing out fossil fuels is inevitable. I don't know. They're all back and forth. But this new draft came down today after marathon negotiations. And this conference is ending tomorrow with a new draft, which is not what people who went there said they went there for. They're calling it a death certificate for the planet. Because the language isn't strong enough. Let me just see. I want to get that exact wording for you. Yeah, it says here, calls on our on countries to take actions to reduce planet warming pollution, which could include reducing the consumption and production of oil, coal, and gas. Could. Many climate experts and observers have blasted the draft for its vague language, including the use of the nonspecific word could and a lack of concrete timelines. Yeah. You know what, man? The world needs oil. Right now, today, that's what we need in order to not freeze to death in the middle of the winter. And in order to get around this big blue ball that we're all sitting on. So that's what's going on at COP28. Not working out quite the way they had planned. <laughs> oh, and check out this story. See, they're not just worried about you burning gas. They're worried about cows passing gas. They want to save the planet from burps and farts. Cow burps, cow farts. I know we've heard about this stuff before, but the Trudeau government in Canada focusing on this. So... <laughs> um, Trudeau is targeting cow burps and your ability to afford beef. Here's an editorial about this from Brian Lilly in the uh, Toronto Sun. He says, I don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper. It does just fine by itself. Cousin Eddie says in National Lampoon's Vacation, the joke is that line, and that line is that Eddie is so poor he can't afford hamburger to go into his hamburger helper. At the United Nations COP28 meetings taking place in Dubai, the Trudeau government just announced plans to tackle climate change by reducing emissions from cow burps and manure. Yep, cow farts. It's the latest in a series of climate change announcements made by Environment Minister Stephen Guibault at the, at the Global Climate Conference. And just like the others, it will cost you. The plan at this point is to provide farmers and ranchers raising beef cattle with credits for reducing methane emissions. Cow farts and cow burps. Those credits could then be sold to other companies who need to reduce emissions but haven't done so. I remember when Reagan was laughing about this, he made a big joke out of it. And it is kind of funny. 
But it says here, according to Brian Lou, the increased cost to you won't be due to the carbon tax being applied to beef cattle, at least not yet. Though New Zealand introduced a tax on beef and sheep last year to try to cut emissions and activists would like Canada to do the same. Such tax won't apply at this point, he says, but you can easily imagine the Trudeau government introducing one at some point in the future. Yes. And that is what Guibault had to say when he addressed COP28. So, yeah, man, look for the uh, Canadian government to follow up on that with measures to go to war against cow farts and cow burps this coming from politicians who flew over to a climate change summit aimed at reducing carbon emissions methane phase out fossil fuels so they fly to the center of the of a desert which is the center of the oil producing countries of the world on jets to a climate change summit that attracted over eight how many people over 800,000 people went to this thing how many how much Fuel does it take to fly 800,000 people to the center of the desert? Why did so many people need to go there? Because they were doing business and partying. The UAE, man, Dubai. It's like a playground for the uh, ultra-rich Lamborghini Central. We talked about it the other night. You want to talk about class warfare? Wow. Oh, yeah. Look at the lifestyle of the very rich and sometimes the very famous. Oh, man. Anyway, you want to save the planet? Do you, what, you need to stop eating meat? What else do we have going on tonight? I've got some messages coming in. Just checking on stuff here with everybody to see if I'm up to speed. Yeah, I've got everything here. All right. So we got the cow burps. What else do we have on tap tonight? We've got, uh, oh, there was this... Um, Explosive device that was detonated in front of a home in Ottawa. An improvised explosive device. We have, I have the police report here for you. Where'd you go, police report? Come on. Here we go. I've got it. I'll bring it up. Show you on the screen right there. Click here, click there, click over here. And the next thing you know, it's up on the screen where you can see it. Yes, sir. 
As you can see, Ottawa police have charged a man after a small homemade improvised explosive device detonated outside an Ottawa home. A 53-year-old Ottawa man is the uh, accused. Nobody was injured. Police say they responded to multiple 911 calls. It happened around 8.40 p.m. Sunday. Just getting the information here. Uh, later, it was kind of late in the day today when that information finally came out through the police report. People reported a loud noise and flash in the 100 block of Arlington Avenue. Investigators determined the detonation of a small explosive device was the source of the noise. They executed a search warrant at the home and they arrested Gordon Alstrom, 53 years old, charged with intending to cause an explosion causing damage and mischief to property. He was arraigned in court today. Police are asking anyone who might have information about the incident to contact Ottawa police or Crime Stoppers. Oh, the number for Ottawa police, by the way, is 613-236-1222, extension 5166. So if you have any info and you want to tell the cops, that's how you do it. Fortunately, nobody hurt. Alex Jones. I was going to talk about this the other night. Though I wasn't on last night. Um, he has been reinstated. To X or Twitter. Alex Jones banned on Twitter previously last week. Elon Musk said he would consider bringing Alex Jones back to X or Twitter. He did an interview on Tucker Carlson on X. And then over the weekend, he put up a poll. He let the people decide. Overwhelmingly, the people responded in favor of bringing Alex Jones back to X. Twitter. Oh, I hate it when they change names like that, because then you have to refer to it as both things. He's been banned off there. It's hard to believe that five years has passed since he was then permanently suspended from the platform, but it's been five years. And so Musk responded today or a couple of days ago, I guess, saying the people have spoken, so it shall be. And then Alex Jones' Twitter account was reinstated. 70.1% voted in favor of bringing Alex Jones back. In fact, a bunch of different accounts that had been banned are now back on X. Laura Loomer's back. And so this is, I'd say, a win for free speech, for sure. Whether you like him or not, 
it's a win for free speech. And good for Elon Musk for uh, standing up for free speech. Good for us. Now, I'm not sure if everything going on out there is actually healthy for society, for our country. We're in new territory to some degree. Because I, well, I do believe in free speech. I also see that we are being subjected to information warfare and a psyop, multiple psyops on many levels. And that makes me wonder, where do you draw the line? Where does free speech end and malicious speech begin? And how do you deal with that? And how do you define it? Do you place any restrictions on speech like that? I'm, I'm inclined to say yes. I'm just not sure yet how you define it or grapple with that. It's very troubling to me. It's in a way the same as laying out limitations on free speech where you're not allowed to yell fire in a movie theater because that's not really free speech. So I think if it can be demonstrated that someone is engaging in malicious speech, which is to say spreading information that they, that they are, that they know is designed to manipulate, hurt people, mess with people's minds or in other, or some other way do harm. I think that kind of thing we have to find a way to deal with it. If you're engaged like in hypnotizing people, say, on the internet, like that would be a form of malicious behavior, I would say. If you're hypnotizing people without their knowledge, this is just an example, a theoretical example. Let's say, hypothetically. That would be a, an insidious thing to do seems to me that that's like performing a, a medical procedure on someone, affecting their mental health without their consent. Needs more thought. I haven't fully fleshed this out in my own mind. I haven't, I, I don't know how to deal with this, but it's clearly going on and we need to deal with it. And, you know, the, Practices that I employed as a, a journalist, an old school journalist, where you just go around and get people's opinions on things. And then you, you just act as a facilitator of opinion to present these different opinions to the public and let people decide. I don't think it's adequate anymore. If it ever really was, you also have to be mindful of what truth is or and and how people can have different perspectives on something but their speech needs to be constructive not destructive
intentionally in a way that hurts people. Do you see what I'm saying? Because free speech is one thing. It's one thing to have an opinion. Like, I like chocolate ice cream. I like vanilla. That's an opinion on something. But if you're selling somebody poison ice cream, it's going to kill them. That's a whole different deal. That's not right. And it's not, it's not adequate to just let someone come on and sell something to, to the public that could hurt people. Or even just spreading complete bunk intentionally in order to screw with people and do harm. You see, we got a, we got, maybe we'll have a, a forum on this. We'll have a further discussion as a group because I think this really needs serious discussion. It's not enough to just let people sit there and flap their gums. There are limits on free speech and there should be. And you can't have a serious discussion about free speech without talking about where those limits are. Because at a certain point, it stops being free speech. It turns into something insidious, harmful, destructive. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Fighting the Great Reset by leading the Great Great Resistance. Maverick News. The antivirus programs for your mind. As dark as these days seem, don't don't lose all hope. Don't don't despair because you know Barbie is out there and it's um, leading the Golden Globe nominations, the Barbie movie. And it's in its closely followed by Oppenheimer. What were they calling that, uh, that dual movie thing back in the summer, the Barbaheimer or the Hoppen Harpen Barber or whatever the 
Barbenopper, the big bopper. Um, what's it say here? Greta Gerwig's Barbie dominated the Golden Globe Awards nominations with nine nods for the blockbuster film, including Best Picture Musical or Comedy, as well as acting nominations for Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, and three of its original songs. I didn't go see the movie. Can't give you a review. It was just way too pink for me. It was closely followed by its release date and meme companion, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which scored eight nominations, and I didn't see that movie either, including Best Picture Drama and, and for Actors, Cillian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., and Emily Blunt. In a statement, Gerwig said she can't wait to bring the Barbie party to the Globes. Jeez. Interesting how they um, managed to reinvent Barbie and remarket Barbie just in time for Christmas by making Barbie politically correct again. For so long, Barbie was like the target of the left, of the woke mob. You shouldn't buy your daughters, your girls Barbies. It's a cliche. Barbies. What was the thing? It was like, if you, if you buy Barbie, you're, you're, you're selling or you're giving your daughter and an unrealistic body image to look up to is like and they, they got all and like they, they got all they took the measurements of the barbie to to show that there was no way that it could be that any human being could match barbie's um dimensions anatomically and so it was unreal oh my god whatever Actually, if you looked at a Raggedy Ann and a Raggedy Andy, um, their heads are kind of really round, and I don't think that their body dimensions are very realistic either, actually. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. But hey. Don't lose hope because they're dominating the Golden Globes. Yeah. What else can I tell you tonight? We've got um, some guy. His name is Kenneth Law. He was charged with 14 counts of murder in Ontario for sodium nitrate deaths. So this guy charged with aiding and abetting suicides. He was selling kits online, kits that people could use to end their own lives. Now facing 14 brand new second degree murder charges. The new charges against this guy, he's a, he used to be an engineer and apparently was a chef. And these charges were filed in Newmarket Court today and contain new allegations in some of these, uh, these deaths that have been previously acknowledged. And police had been warning the public about these websites that were apparently allegedly run by this guy. And 
when he was arrested the first time earlier this year, they had tracked down some 1,200 different products being distributed through something like 40 countries. And at least one person has confirmed, uh, one person has been, been confirmed as having used these products to commit suicide. Back in August, Britain's National Crime Agency revealed that 272 people had ordered products that could be used to commit suicide from Canadian websites, and of those, 88 had died. The agency said at the time it would be conducting a criminal investigation on offenses in the United Kingdom. And here's the irony in that you have the um, you have police services going after this guy at a time when the Canadian government is expanding its medical assistance in dying program, legalizing suicide. But I guess if you order the products online in order to do it yourself, it's illegal. But if you have a doctor come over and do it to you, it's okay to do that. Hang on just one moment. I'm going to take a quick break. We are Mavericks. We say no to the Trudeau and Biden New World Order. And to bugs. Because bugs are creepy and gross. And people should not eat bugs. Maverick News. The world is watching. Greetings, brave Mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So earlier I mentioned, you know, I'm not, I'm not really ashamed of being a Canadian. I'm not ashamed of being who I am. And prejudice is prejudice and bigotry is bigotry. Intolerance is intolerance. We've seen far too much of it aimed at certain groups of people who 
in the hierarchy of identity politics rank at the very bottom, it seems, these days. And earlier this week, well, about three days ago, two more churches were burned in Alberta. Two more. There you see the, uh, see some pics of what happened. RCMP investigating. This is in um, Barhead. Barhead, Alberta. Nobody injured, but RCMP investigating and they have indicated that they believe these fires were set intentionally. Just do a quick Twitter scroll. This has been an ongoing problem. Why? We've already talked about it. Identity politics, left-wing woke politics, cultural Marxism, intolerance, bigotry, a move to this expanding popular idea now that we're in a country that is based entirely on colonialism and oppression. It's the same ideology that they're using to target Israel in this war so that people can more easily choose a side. I'm standing with Palestine because Israel is just an occupant. They're, they're settlers, colonialists. It's that simple, is it? Same, exact same ideology being employed here. And it's resulting in some people torching churches. And I think it's time that people shake off the fear and start standing up to this stuff. Because religious oppression is religious oppression. Bigotry is bigotry. Hate is hate. And this left-wing woke ideology that is facilitating it. I think it's dangerous and it is like a cancer that's growing through our society. And it's gone way too far, in my opinion. Do a quick Twitter scroll. It says here, two historic churches in Barhead, Alberta, were burned to the ground. This is from somebody named Ricky Bass, during intentional fires on Thursday night. Where is the outrage from our governments? If this was any church other than Christian, over 200 churches, 200 churches in the last three years. Barhead Fire Station, this is from somebody named Jonathan Riley on Twitter. Barhead Fire Station and Nielsen Parish Church opened their doors to the public. 
RCMP, this is from Mike Izzo, what's he say? The RCMP in Alberta say they suspect arson is the cause of two fires that destroyed two churches in a community northwest of Edmonton. Fire at RCMP responding to the first fire at the Glen Rig Church on Range Road 40. And you know, you think about that, 200 churches, 200. I said, you know, these people coming for the um, Zionists. They're not stopping there. And they've already started. It's just that it's kind of not getting much attention. Be careful. What you, which side you choose. Be careful about choosing a side. Be careful about what you chant in the streets. Be very, very careful. Doesn't take much to set the world on fire. citizens of the world. This channel has been selected and temporarily seized. We are anonymous. We have chosen Maverick to carry important messages forward. There is a storm coming. East meets West. Save yourselves. Save the children. Prepare. Save the children. Your rights are at stake. We stand against tyranny. We are legion. We are anonymous. Stay tuned to this channel for further updates. This channel is a trusted source. We now return you to regular programming. The Maverick channel has been seized. We will be back. We are anonymous. We are Legion. Expect us. And so, very strange day. Um, we got burping cows, farting cows. We got uh, Barbenheimer leading the awards because, you know, that's quality, man. That's quality programming. Oh, the university presidents. Yeah. Earlier this week, well, I'll say this week. What day is it today? Monday? Anyway, um, we saw that congressional hearing, right, where 
university presidents in the United States, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, some others, they were hauled up in front of this committee to talk about the rise in anti-Semitism on campus, campuses. And they were caught like deer in the headlights, right? They were asked all these very tough questions. And then we saw a day or two ago, two days ago, the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, she resigned because they were asked to, you know, would you, does language like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, does that cross the line by calling for the genocide of Jews? And these university presidents didn't really seem to know how to respond. So they kind of sat there dumbfounded. I get it. I get it. See, they, we embrace free speech. As a society, it's part of the Constitution, especially in the United States, less so in Canada. But I don't think they were fully prepared to deal with this. And they were attacked by this Republican, um, Stefanik. She really held their feet to the fire. And I don't think they were expecting it. I think they were expecting to go in there to talk about what they were seeing on campuses with these pro-Palestinian rallies and to talk about the rise in anti-Semitism. But what ended up happening during the, the hearing was that they were held accountable for the actions of the people on campuses. And they were pinned up against the wall and, and basically asked, why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you censor these people? They didn't know how to respond because on the one hand, they're trying to defend free speech rights on campus. On the other hand, they know that maybe some of these this language has maybe crossed a line, but hadn't turned into action. So they weren't really sure how to respond. So in some cases, they were sitting there completely silent. And because they didn't respond in the right way, or it resulted in a furor. Liz McGill, it cost her her gig, cost her her job. She ended up resigning. She did post, and we ran the, the response online that she finally came out with. I think it was... 24 hours or longer after trying to explain why she reacted the way that she did talking about, you know, trying to preserve the right to free speech and so on, but then apologizing for not taking an immediate strong stand against anti-Semitic rhetoric that she is hearing on, on, on campuses, on, on her campus. She ended up resigning as a result. Now there's pressure for the president of Harvard to do the same thing. And on the thumbnail that I created the other night, one of them, I had a picture of Liz McGill up and I put casualty of war. See, the thing is, I get what they're where they're coming from, but make no mistake, like 
the people who are really backing this thing up, this this effort to cancel these university presidents, I think they're missing the mark. They're off target. They're not going to solve a problem by nailing these university presidents to the wall by holding them accountable for the actions and the words of other people simply because they didn't respond the way they some people wanted them to or engage in censorship the way some people want them to or engage in a form of cancel culture the way that some people want them to. Now, I mean, I've been on here calling out that exact phrase since long before the war erupted between Israel and Hamas. And you can go back if you want to. I can't tell you exactly the right which broadcast, but I this goes back two years ago. I can remember making references to that exact phrase and saying it's not right. But not everybody recognizes what it really means. And it's kind of catchy. It's got real rhythm to it and a bit of a rhyme. And so people get out into the streets and they march and they chant and they don't even know what they're calling for, which is genocide. That blows my mind. But that's what goes on out there. But destroying the careers of these university presidents won't fix the problem. And I would put it to you that these university presidents, I really seriously doubt, I don't think that they are like fascistic Nazi types who want to exterminate Jewish people or have really any serious tolerance of anti-Semitic remarks beyond maybe not understanding what some of these chants mean themselves because maybe they need a little more education or just having a desire to preserve free speech. I mean, if you go back years ago, the ACLU came out and took a position where they defended the right or the rights of people to march in the streets carrying swastikas. Because we are a country or countries that embrace the idea of free speech. Even if people who are out there saying things are incredibly distasteful or outright wrong, but if, at least if you put it out in the open, you can call it out and expose it for what it is if you're brave enough to do it. I'm not so sure that canceling all of that is the wisest thing because it just to some degree, forces it underground. And yet here I was just moments ago talking about where do we draw the line between free speech and malicious speech? Where do you draw the line between free speech and speech calling for violence, death? Well, that's what that phrase really means. It's just that it's kind of sanitized. It's got rhythm. You can kind of dance to it while you're protesting. So it's easy to indoctrinate people that way. But destroying these university presidents 
is not the solution. And you have some pretty smart people there who got caught in the political crossfire and they are casualties of war, in my view. And just because they didn't respond immediately the way that people wanted them to or demanded of them, is that really reason to have them resign? Just because they had to think for a while and figure out what they had to do to uh, defend themselves against a mob? Hmm. This is a problem. This is also dangerous. This is this will also have a chilling effect on public discourse and action. We need to be so careful about what we do right now. We're going to look back on these times in the decades to come and wonder what the hell we were really doing to people. Because I don't think these university presidents, they're not the enemy. They're as, um, you know, they've been pushed back on their heels too. Like they, they, I think that they're sitting back going, what the heck am I supposed to do? They're trying to navigate through this like everybody else and make the right decisions. I have some empathy for them. They're in a tough position, all of them. And they all sat there, three, what, three, four of them, they just caught like deer in the headlights, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. They're no doubt petrified in these politically correct times, knowing that if they say just one wrong thing at that moment, they're done. So they said nothing. And you know what that got them? The same thing. Trying to gauge, what do I say? What's the politically correct thing to say? How do I save myself? I'll just shut up. Anything I say can and will be used against me in the court of public opinion. So they said nothing, and they still got fried. Some people coming to the defense of the president of Harvard tonight, but I don't know if it'll be enough to save her. News. The world is watching. Okay, so folks, with that being said, let me just 
see where we're at with everything else here tonight. So we did the Alex Jones thing. He's back on Twitter. So we talked about that. The explosive device, we got that. What else was there? I have a whole list of stuff that I wanted to talk about tonight. Oh, Trump. Donald Trump. Right. So Trump, he's going to... hoping the Supreme Court will rule in his favor um, as the special counsel asks the Supreme Court to immediately decide if Trump is immune from January 6th prosecution. Um, Jack Smith, the special counsel, went to the Supreme Court. He wants the, uh, the Supreme Court to step in now and make a decision on this. I know that the uh, the lawyers for Trump have been really researching and making reference to a lot of the circumstances and legal precedents that were set during the Watergate trial and Nixon. Because as you recall, may recall if you were alive at that time, and I was a kid, I watched a lot of it as a kid unfold on television. Nixon at the time, you know, he he made a, there was a famous interview he did where he said, well, it's not illegal when the president does it. You see, this is what I've been talking about as well, quite a bit about over the past few weeks. When you're a president or you're a king or you're the head of a country, you're playing by a different set of rules. And it's true. You can literally get up in the morning and order an airstrike and kill people. And there's no consequence for you. You saw, you know, that that Saudi prince, we know that that Saudi prince ordered the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, that journalist, Saudi born journalist. And even though the United States government was aware and some people called for the U.S. to sever ties with Saudi Arabia, as a result, practically speaking, it's just not something that's going to happen. And the prince showed the world that he's immune, untouchable. Nothing going to happen. So you get to a certain level and you can order people dead and get away with it. Now, I'm not saying that's what Donald Trump has done here, but in the case of J6, he's saying, you know, as, a, as the president questioning the outcome of an election, that's something that is within his area of jurisdiction. And the actions that took place on January 6th, he should be immune from prosecution on these things. So in a brief order issued just hours after Smith's filing, the court asked Trump's legal team to respond by the 20th of this month. The court says that it uh, would consider on, ex ex on an expedited basis whether to hear the case because the Supreme Court doesn't have to even hear this case. They get to decide what they 
hear and what they don't hear. But in this particular case, I'm thinking they're leaning toward taking it on and making some sort of ruling on it. And uh, the Trump campaign has issued a statement today saying that Smith is attempting to interfere in the 2024 election. They say, as President Trump has said over and over again, this prosecution is completely politically motivated. There's absolutely no reason to rush this shammed trial except to injure President Trump and tens of millions of his supporters. And earlier this month, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, who has been presiding over the election interference case, denied Trump's motion to dismiss his indictment on presidential immunity and constitutional grounds. That's why Trump then appealed and asked for the case to be put on hold. So then Smith asked the court to order Trump to respond by December 18th and then immediately act on his request. And under this timeline proposed by Smith, the court, if it should step in, could hear arguments and issue a ruling on this within a matter of just weeks. And there is a precedent for such an outcome. Smith cites the 1974 U.S. versus Nixon case. That's where the court ruled that President Richard Nixon had to hand over tape recordings sought during the Watergate scandal. And then after that ruling came down and he had to hand those tapes in, Nixon resigned a short time after that. But Trump's legal team is saying that he really should have immunity because as Nixon's team at the time asserted, he has what they're calling something like, it's like the outside edges of what his responsibilities and liabilities as a citizen are that he is essentially executive privilege, if you will, as the president. So we'll see where all this goes. It's pretty, um, it's pretty important. It'll determine, I think really in the end, whether he will be allowed to run. Prosecutors allege that Trump used dishonesty, fraud, deceit to subvert the 2020 election. And of course, Trump is saying it's the opposite that, well, you know, he's saying that the election was uh, not above board. But the prosecution is saying Trump has been lying about all of that. So Trump is also facing three other criminal cases. And it seems like everything they throw at him legally through all of this lawfare just makes him stronger. Stronger. Not weaker. We'll see where it goes.
on this. What's the date today? December 11th, 2023. Got off to a rocky start because of all the technical issues here, but I'm glad that Rumble came back online for us. We at least got one of those channels up and running, and it's been great to spend another night with you guys here. We're going to wrap it up there for tonight. And I will do my very best to be back here tomorrow. Now, as I say, we have new internet hardware on the way that should stabilize our connection. We were able to remain online with you again tonight. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to spend another night with you guys here. The Maverick family will reconnect tomorrow night. Same time, hopefully, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks, everybody, for spending the time here with me tonight and each other. Catch you on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.